My name is John Cullen, and I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and curling. It's the story of Broomgate, how a single broom, yes, a broom, turned friends into foes and almost killed the 500-year-old sport of curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now. You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. Hey, it's Jordan. Before we serve up this week's episode of In This Economy, I wanted to remind you, you can get these episodes two days early every Thursday by subscribing or following In This Economy in its own podcast feed, wherever you get podcasts. Plus, you will get some bonus episodes as we go, including one that's there already if you want to check it out that features myself and producer Steph Phillips chatting about why the heck we did this thing in the first place. For now, of course, you'll find every episode here on Saturdays. But if you want it early and you like the show, we hope you'll find us over there and give us a follow. Enjoy the show. Hi, Jordan. My name is Suki and I live in Owen Sound, Ontario. I want to buy a car in the next six months, but I'm nervous about navigating the current market. That's our producer, Ali, reading an email that we got from a listener. Suki wrote into this show to find out how she can afford a car right now and what she needs to know before starting to shop. I'm interested in purchasing a plug-in hybrid to support EV car production in Canada and beyond and to reduce my monthly expenses. Suki knows that electric vehicles are not cheap, so she has been saving up for this big purchase. My budget is about $20,000, and I'm willing to make some small monthly payments beyond that down payment, but not more than $200 a month. I want to avoid additional payments if possible because there are other costs like insurance and maintenance that I need to budget for. I've heard it's incredibly difficult to secure a car right now, and honestly, I just don't know where to start. How did we get to this place in the market, and can I possibly afford a car I actually want? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings, and you're listening to In This Economy, a show that helps you understand the systems that create our money problems, from grocery bills to mortgage renewals, car purchases, and everything in between. Each episode, I talk to a person facing a financial challenge, and then an expert who knows that area of the economy intimately and can explain the factors behind the money and offer, if not perfect solutions, and options, things you can do, even in this economy. If you've turned on the TV anytime in the last several decades, it'd be hard to believe the car industry has ever changed much at all. The sleazy car salesman trope is practically evergreen no matter which year it is, and if you still have cable, the trucks and the sports cars are ripping down the same mud trails and mountainside winding roads and the same commercials as they always have. But despite appearances, experts like Lorraine Sommerfeld say that the industry is a very different place for consumers, especially when you compare it to the first time that she walked into a dealership. Do you remember buying your first car? Yeah, my dad had to co-sign for it. I think I was 20. It was an 84 caravan. Remember when they introduced minivans? I thought I was really cool. I was not. But the payments were 248.16 a month. 
and that was 40 years ago. So yeah, you remember that. You remember your first car. <laughs> Lorraine has spent the past 15 years helping people decipher the incredibly complex and confusing auto industry. She writes Driving.ca's column, Lorraine Explains. She hosts the Driving Podcast, and as you will discover, she's also just a delight to talk cars with. If you had to break down the current state of the car market in Canada, how would you describe it? How far are we from uh, when you bought your first car? Well, I think breakdown is a really good word. That's what people are experiencing right now when they're looking to buy new cars. Costs have gone through the roof. Inventory has tumbled through the floor. Everyone uses the words perfect storm. We're kind of still in that spot. And we didn't think it would last this long after hmm. the pandemic started to ease, except I think manufacturers are taking advantage of all those things. And it's going on longer than it should, frankly. Buyers are in a really, really lousy spot right now. Tell me about the ingredients that gave us that storm in the first place before we get to why it's still happening or, or whether or not there's greedflation here. Like what created the problem in the first place? We've watched supply lines around the world like globally seized up as soon as the pandemic hit because it started in China. A lot of parts are coming out of China. Your car is made of pieces that come from all over the world, even if they're assembled say here in Oshawa or down in the U.S., they are made of parts that come from all over. And the main components that had a scarcity immediately were the superconductors, the chips. Cars can have thousands of those chips in them. And people with personal computers and laptops, those manufacturers were in line first to get the chips. The automakers didn't realize they were going to be hit with this. And as you remember, every kid needed a laptop. Everybody needed a way to work from home all of a sudden. So the shortages of chips caused the car market to seize up and the inventory just fell. And dealers, if they had cars on the lot, they were getting full pop for them almost immediately because they knew they weren't getting any more on order. Um, as the pipeline opened a little bit, they started putting those chips into their highest selling vehicles with the biggest margins, as hmm. you can imagine a manufacturer would do. But that's bad news for people that just want a basic car to get around in, which is a lot of us. So our listener Suki has exactly that problem. She's trying to get a basic vehicle to get around in, and she wants to hopefully buy an EV or a hybrid because she cares about the environment and she's concerned about the cost of gas. But she's not looking for like a top of the line Tesla. She's got a budget of $20,000. How close is that to what we're talking about and what she's looking for? Right now, new car, new car prices in Canada, uh, they just took an average auto trader and it's $66,000. That doesn't what? mean you can't get a car for less. That's the average cost of a new car. Average. You factor in all those huge pickup trucks and everything you see that people really, really want to buy. You see why it's so high. It's gone up 47% since 2019. I'm not crazy. Those are the numbers. Wow. It's terrible. And again, with manufacturers wanting to sell the higher trim models, there's less option, fewer options for somebody like Suki who walks in. I have a little hatchback. And when I renewed my lease, it was worth more than what I paid for it three years ago. Hmm. We've never seen the market like this. We've never seen the industry this upside down. That said, she can still go in and find a lesser like mine, like something in a lower trim level, you have to look hard, look harder. The internet is your best friend. It's the best tool you have. You can look around. Used car prices, which were obscene, are finally softening a little bit. She could look in the used car market. Stick with a registered dealer. Stick with someone registered with a government. Don't curbside. Don't go through Kijiji and stuff unless it's a dealer that you have some recourse with. Huge, huge thing. 
We're going to get into that, but you just said something that kind of blew my mind. I don't know anything about buying cars. As a family, we bought our first car a few years ago. We paid eight grand for a 2015 Hyundai Accent, and it works fine. So that's literally the last thing I'll ever consider till that car breaks down. But the one thing I know about cars or thought I knew is that like they lose value the second you drive them off the lot. You just said you brought yours back to renew the lease and it was worth more. It was worth twice what I owed on the payout. And I've been telling people, because at the time that you signed, when I signed the lease in 2020, right as the pandemic was getting going, like in March, um, manufacturers, when you lease a car from them, they put a buyout amount. And they say, when you return it, if you want to buy it, that's that will be the amount. So they're kind of looking into the future. And this is all leases. And usually when you take the car back, they try and ding you left, right, and center. It's like, oh, the tires don't match. Oh, we found a scratch. And they bite all that back off what, you know, you owe on it. This time around, they want their hands on those cars because used cars have never been worth so much. And so they're coming at people and most dealerships are giving money back. When you turn in your lease, they're giving you cash because they know it's worth more wow. than that buyout amount. And mine was worth double what the wow. buyout amount was. And they knew I wasn't giving that car back. So. Has there ever been a time like this before in the auto industry? You've been in this industry for a while. Yeah. No, I've never, we've never seen anything like this. Cars are a depreciating thing. People think they're an asset. It's like, no, cars are not an asset. You know, they're always going to cost you. It's the gift that keeps on taking. Not now. Now, actually, I've told people, if you have a second car you're not using, if you're working from home, now's the time, the last couple of years, sell it. You'll never get more money for that car. People are getting more for cars than they paid for them. Who has ever said that? Like, that doesn't happen. It's happening. and. New cars are costing the same as used cars. Someone goes in to get a used car and they find out a new one costs the same. It's crazy. It's crazy times and dealers are taking full advantage of that. And if someone says, well, I don't want to spend that much. I don't want that trim level. They go, someone else will buy. Huh. <laughs> yeah, it's not nice. Uh, sounds like a very tough time to be a buyer, particularly a first-time buyer who has to navigate. I mean, I would be intimidated enough in normal times trying to buy a car. Yeah, it's challenging. It doesn't mean that all dealers are terrible people. Um, having a relationship with them helps. So if someone in Stuckey's family has been going to the same dealer, you know, for several purchases or something, that mm. can help you. But again, the internet doesn't know that you're a young woman. They don't know if you don't know anything about cars or not. So use your internet for information. Look at median prices in your area. Compare them on sites like driving.ca, which I work for, and AutoTrader, so you can get a, an idea of what the car is worth, Lorraine, which is just, could you back up for one second and maybe just start by explaining the difference between buying and leasing for us? Okay, if you lease something, you're basically spending an amount every month to rent a car. That's how you have to look at it. And at the end of the term, which can be two years, three years, four years, you can lease it any term you want. You can figure that out. At the end of it, you hand it back to them. You don't have a car. So you make sure it's an amount that you don't mind spending. Is it worth it to you to have a car for $100 a week or $200 a week? And you might say, yes, it is, or no, it's not. Understand, though, that those prices have gone up too. People traditionally went into leasing if it was business and they were rich people or businesses were writing it off, 
or people who said, if I buy it, it's 800 a month. If I lease it, it's 600. And that was a trap a lot of people fell into. And they end up at the end of four years holding nothing. So be very cautious if that's not something that you're comfortable with in your budget. At the end of that term, you don't have anything. So if you like having a new car all the time, it might be for you. It might be a cheap way to keep you in a new car. And there's some seniors, I say, this is to keep warranty and to have, you know, no hassles. It might be a great idea to do that. Generally speaking, you should be trying to buy this car so you're not constantly having a car payment for the rest of your life. I feel like for first-time buyers, for young people, that's really not a good option because you need that or you at least want that car to work for a decade or more. And cars have, they're better built than ever. They're safer than ever. You should be able to put a lot of kilometers on a new car, maintain it, take care of it. You should be able to do that. So if there's a way, like buy as much car as you can for your budget and then take care of it. But they are going to try and push you into a longer payment period, a longer loan period. That's their job. They're going to suggest you lease. It's going to look attractive when you're sitting there and you can't afford the one you want and they make a way for you to afford it, hmm. you can get a little swirly. And that's where you have to kind of go in already knowing what you're going to do. You just described the shortages of superconductors and other things that led to these crazy spikes in prices. Um, again, I'm no auto industry expert. I know, because uh, I am an electronics geek, I know that that uh, demand has eased, or at least there's a lot more supply available. Started happening maybe uh, a year ago, maybe even a little more. So let's get into why prices are still like this. Inventory rates for cars in Canada has still not rebounded to where it was. It's coming back. Some, no provinces back up to where they were. Things are moving. Things are coming through the pipe. They're getting inventory. They're getting deliveries. Inflation came along right when the storm was settling a little bit. Interest rates jacked. <laughs> and interest rates, again, you have to factor that financing into the cost of your car if you're financing it. And it could double the price over six years or however long the term is that you take. Consumers have to be really smart and look at the big numbers, even though it's scary. Look at the whole thing, because otherwise you're spending $70,000 on a car that's worth thirty-five. A quick sidebar here. This is for those getting their first car as well as anyone looking to trade theirs in for something new. Taking on negative equity, as Lorraine said, essentially means that you owe more money for the car you're driving off the lot than that car is actually worth. That could be because you didn't finish paying off your last car loan or even because a salesperson is convincing you to get a bunch of add-ons. Okay, we'll go back to Lorraine. Negative equity is a massive problem. You're in a car that you owe on the last car and you've rolled it into a new car loan. And it's legal in Canada for them to give you a car loan that's 120% of the vehicle you're hmm. buying so that you can buy extended warranties and fancy mats and stuff. It's predatory. It, it's, it's not good. And you have to be smart. You're a consumer. You have to arm yourself and know what you want to do. So someone like Suki... Anybody buying their first car, never been to a dealership, um, probably has those ideas in their head about car salesmen, um, thanks to stereotypes. And what do you tell those people? What should they be on the lookout for when they walk into a dealership? You know, can they trust that salespeople have their best interests in mind? Um, are salespeople working on commission? Uh, what do you do here? What's, what's the actual lay of the land? 
when you walk in a dealership, the first thing a sales rep, they'll come up to you and they'll say, how much do you have to spend a month? Hmm. No, no, no. Don't buy a car by the month. Buy the whole thing. If your budget's $20,000, don't get them to break it into a monthly thing because all they'll do is say, well, that's not enough. But if we go to a seven-year loan or an eight-year loan or a nine-year loan, Hmm. and that's how they shoehorn you into a car you can't afford. So don't be pushed off with a monthly amount. And they will focus on that monthly amount until they grind you down. Don't let them. You have a number. Stick with that number. There's charges on top of that. We can talk about which ones are fair and which ones aren't, but stick with that number. They are working on commission. There are some snakes and sharks. There are some very good people. Uh, Again, if you know anyone who has some good experiences with a local, the same way you find a mechanic or a doctor. So talk to people that you know in your, you know, families and friends. I've got an awesome car salesman I've dealt with for 20 years. I send him so much business. I know that he's not going to rip anybody off because it would just, you know, Mm -hmm. seize up a pipeline for him. But a consumer needs to know what their budget is and what they want. And again, go online and do the research. Suki wants, she said, uh, plug-in hybrid or an EV. Not going to happen on a $20,000 budget. Not at all, eh? No, no. An EV and plus wait, 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 wait. Like the wait times on EVs are insane because, you know, people want them. Um, that said, there's a lot of them. She would receive a federal rebate up to $5,000 on that plug-in or on the electric. So investigate where the rebates would come into play. That can bring your price down as well. Some of those rebates can be on used vehicles. So you might get a partial rebate on a used one, but use designated sites, use places like Auto Trader, like driving.ca that are accredited and check out price ranges where you live and 20,000 is, I mean, I like that number because I like a little car. I have a little hatchback, mm-hmm. but going to have to do some research, probably not looking at new on a really? hybrid. Yeah. Know? And there's like the prime hybrid, the RAV4, which is everyone, there's five to eight year wait lists. Oh man. For new. She walks into a dealership with $20,000. Let's assume that this is not a dealer that's trying to rip her off. Okay. She walks into a, a new car dealer with $20,000, what are they going to say? They're going to try and get her to turn that into a down payment is what they're going to do. They will want to sell her some financing because they make money on that financing. Because interest rates are high, I would suggest Suki talks to her bank first. She might be able to get a better rate through her bank. But if not, deals are starting to come back a little bit. She might be able to get a preferred rate from a dealer. And even It's called tied financing, and it really stinks. It's not very moral, if you ask me. They can force you to take their financing, and a car loan is open. So if you have a car loan, you can pay pay it off anytime without repercussion. You don't have to pay it. It's not like a mortgage. So what she might end up doing is if the only car she can get that's in stock and has full warranty and it's new but it's $25,000, she might finance that five let them have their loan for a few months and then pay the thing out if she can or just pay it until it's off. She's at a a pitchy point for the kind of car she wants. But again, talk ahead of time to people and know what the car is worth. If you're going used, make sure it checks out with a Carfax. And again, a registered dealer will do all this stuff for you, which is good. 20,000 might turn into a down payment instead of a car thing, unless she can find a decent used one. 
when you look at financing and you look at the rates provided by the dealership and stuff like that, does it make sense, assuming, let's assume that 20,000 won't get her the car she wants outright or whatever number anybody's looking at for their own budget. Um, does it make sense to go to your bank and use a line of credit to secure that money and just buy the car outright and then pay your bank back so you don't have to get involved with the dealership uh, or do the rates not generally match up? This is a personal comfort zone thing. I don't think putting a car on a personal line of credit is a very smart thing to do. Usually line of credits tied to cars are not a good idea. And I believe that because line of credits can be yanked. We're going to see this happen. I'm probably going to see this happen. Um, you don't have as much control and line of credits tend to be big, whereas a car loan specific, it's tied to the car and it can't be jerked around, frankly. Used cars. You've already mentioned a couple times. Make sure you're researching on reputable sites. What is the best route to go when you think you've got an idea of a few kinds of cars that would work and you think you have an idea about what they should cost? What next? Drive them. We're getting away from test drives and it's a really dumb thing because every time- Why has that happened? What don't we buy online already? Now we buy cars online. People are used to that. But the thing is, when you get in a vehicle, no matter how much you've read and if you've fallen in love with it and all the rest of it, if you get in it, and depending on your height and size and stature and everything else, if the if the seat doesn't adjust properly for you or the A-pillars are blocking and giving you blind spots that make you really uncomfortable and maybe not safe for pedestrians and cyclists, until you actually physically get in that car, you don't know that. And so I really, I wish people would at least get in the vehicles that they're contemplating buying. And some of the on, the online sites where they deliver it to you, they give you 30 days to change your mind. And that's why, because it's important that you're comfortable in it. And again, different cars fit different people. I have a son who's 6'4". He fills a doorway. Mm-hmm. And I always use press cars as the test, the Christopher test. Like, can he get in it? Can he drive it? So, you know, figure out if, if other people are driving this car, bring them with you. If you have car seats, bring the car seats with you to see if they fit. If you play hockey or your kid plays hockey, does the gear fit in the back? That's the uh, Canadian reference. (laughs) I use golf clubs for that test. Um, And they actually, I got to take a couple out of the bag and wedge them in sideways. Um, Because we bought a small car because guess what? It was the middle of the pandemic and it was what we could get. Oh, yeah. Um, Okay, so... Where do you buy used cars? I know that you mentioned drive.ca and you mentioned Auto Trader. Is it just those sites? Um, where should they start looking? Pick Auto Trader. They're huge. You can go in and put in parameters, um, including geographical ones, where you live, what you're looking for, price ranges, mileage. And you can compare apples and apples because there'll be a whole bunch of the same car. And you throw out the top, you throw out the bottom, and then you're looking at the ones in between. It gives you an idea of if you are being realistic in your budget, it will tell you that. You might have to alter your expectations based on what's available, but at least you'll know, okay, it's me, not them, because they're all selling mm-hmm. this thing. I can't recommend enough that you go to a regulated, registered seller. I do a lot of work with OMVIC in Ontario. If something goes wrong and it's an OMVIC seller, they have a fund where you can get your money back and you can have recourse. Another quick sidebar. For those who don't know, OMVIC stands for the Ontario Motor Vehicle Industry Council, and essentially, their job is to keep the marketplace fair and customers informed and protected. Dealers and salespeople in Ontario have to register with OMVIC, 
which ensures that you're protected if something goes sideways. Most provinces and territories have roughly similar regulatory bodies. For example, BC has the Motor Vehicle Sales Authority. Okay, we'll go back to Lorraine now. If you buy from someone by the side of the road or in a parking lot, you're, you're beat. You're out. So if that car is stolen and you don't know it, and people are revinning now, theft is huge, huge, especially Ontario and Quebec. You have to be so careful. I don't want that layer. Uh, like, how do I know if this guy's sketchy or this person doesn't really right. own the car? So registered dealers give you recourse. So it's very important. So again, finding one that you trust. All dealers sell used cars as well. If there's some someone you can trust, they make more margin on those. Mm-hmm. So you can know that. And a lot of people will go, well, but ask around if someone's grandma's ditching their car or someone's going to from two cars to one car, ask, ask in your networks if anyone's looking, because I'm telling people to unload cars now, they can get the most for them. Right. That's another way you can come across. Might be a dumb question. How do I know if a dealer is registered and reputable? There's certificates right when they go in. In Ontario, they have to be registered with OMVIC or and. There's used car dealer association as well. It'll be stickers on the door and on a contract here. It, there's an OMVIC line, $10. That's the funding they get because they are not funded by the government. Hmm. So on a sales contract, it says OMVIC, $10, and that goes to them. So, you know, so any dealer you drive by or see, they're all OMVIC. Every salesperson is um, certificated, which is not a word by OMVIC. So that gives you recourse and you have to do it. If you just call up someone on Kijiji because they're running a car and they don't say they're a right. dealer and they meet you in a parking lot, that's not a registered dealer. Right. Stay away. Can you bargain for either a new or a used car on the spot when you show up at the lot? Used to be able to. Um, everything's been selling it over list now for since you know 2020. Right. Um, we're starting to see some movement in some deals mostly it's going to be on interest rates um because they'll go there first it's still a seller's market very much so and i'm not going to kid anybody that and the other thing is if you absolutely batter someone to sell you a car for a hundred dollars over cost they're not going to be real happy dealing with you later you want Hmm. someone on your side when warranty stuff goes sideways What's the difference when it comes to buying used for hybrids and EVs? Is there any difference in terms of what you should check for, what you should know? Batteries are the big deal. Batteries cost a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Buying a used EV, most people are getting a little bit jumpy about, okay, battery has an eight-year warranty on it. I'm buying a six-year-old one. Is it going to cost me, there's horror stories, $30,000 for a battery, $18,000 for a battery. So ask those questions. Go to the manufacturer's websites. Ask them questions as well. There's deals to be had. We're going to see EVs as they come into the market also coming into the used market. That's normal. That's part of the system. I wouldn't buy a hybrid or an EV used except from the person or dealer that specializes in that brand. What other costs are associated with purchasing a car that uh, Suki should budget for, that she should be prepared to pay on the spot? Like if we're looking at a car that's $18,999 on the ticket. Um, What does that add up to after all the fees are included? And then what else should she be budgeting for in in the months to come afterwards? Depending on what province she's in, 
uh, in Ontario, the advertised price anywhere online, on a sticker on the car, anywhere. That price has to be the price, except for taxes and license. Now, what's happening in our greedy, greedy times is a lot of tied selling. You're going in and they're saying, well, we already did undercoating on it. And we already did tinting and we already have tire protection. You have to pay that stuff. It's already on the car. Those are things you probably don't want. Mm-hmm. And if you do want them, it's because you did research and decided you wanted them. It should be up to you, not when you've been trapped in that little airless room and they batter you into taking things. Don't let them do that to you. I mean, you have to go in that room, but know ahead of time what you want. So Sounds like a it, hostage situation. You're not making is. this sound a ton of fun, you know, Lorraine. You know what? But if you're armed, think about if you're a hostage and then you go, aha, you know, I have information as my weapon. So nice. you can do that. But there's a ton of stuff they're going to try and sell you. And lately they've been just doing it to the car already and saying, take it or leave it. But when they sit you down at just the desk, they'll go, okay, here's anything that says fee or th- 500 for this or something like all these weird fees, highlight them and actually don't sign it. Get them to write it all up, go home and read it, read the whole thing. And then go back and go, okay, this is, I, I read this. I'm in Ontario. You can't charge me this, 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 and this. Like, this is crazy. And they're going to tell you, you need tire protection. And they'll go, Suki, you know, if you bark the, the wheel and it gets all broken, it'll be replaced. You don't need tire protection. That's a scam. So don't hmm. do that. And sorry, dealers listening to this, but we all know it. You might want <laughs> heat protection panels. I mean, I have them on mine because I drive at a, a gravel road at the cottage. So having that stuff on it. Rust protection, I do that on my own. They send that out to be done. You can go out and do it yourself. Winter tires, that's a real thing. And sometimes if you're financing a vehicle, it makes sense to factor in winter tires with at the time because, it, you know, otherwise six months later, you got to go fork out $1,000 and you're going, ah, but winter tires are great. You need them. And your tires should last you four or five years. If you've got winters, they're going to last longer. Um insurance. I'm sure Suki will talk to her insurance company before she signs a contract to see how much her insurance is. Different cars have different rates depending on their theft and stealability. Hmm. So you have to do that. Open the gas door and see if it's high octane fuel or normal. That will cost you a ton more at the pump. And a lot of people don't realize, oh, I'm so excited. I got my new mini. I love it. And they go, "Ah." (laughs) it's high octane. So So that's something to check for. Let's talk about the moment of truth for a second, because you just mentioned uh, being in that room. And then you said, take a look at the contract and highlight the stuff you don't understand and take it home and read it and then come back. What happens when you're at that contract point and then you start looking at it and you're like, you say, hey, uh, excuse me, I want to walk away with this and I want to go look at it and research some things and then I'll come back tomorrow and we can discuss it some more. What happens in that moment? Oh, they go, well, I can't guarantee you that price tomorrow. And that's when you go, okay. No, anytime you feel uncomfortable, your feet are the best thing you possess. Walk out. The second you sign a contract, and some of them, I've I've had readers that have contacted me going, I signed, they told me it was just like a, a quote, and then they get home and they realize it's a contract. There's no cooling off period. If you sign a contract, you have to honor that contract. And the only way they're going to break it is if they can get you into it, maybe another car. So you're still there at the dealership. Not everyone is terrible. If you've made a mistake, they'll try and, you know, help you buy something that you do want. But technically speaking, they got the signature, you got the car. So if you're not sure, take your time, leave, 
they should want the sale more than they should want the sale right this second. So take the information, ask them, make them write it down. Everything has to be written down. If they go, listen, when it comes in, don't worry, we're going to remove that from the deal. No, 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 they're not. No, everything has to be in writing. Find the sales manager. If your sales rep isn't very clear, the other thing is if you have a sales rep and you're not very comfortable with them, ask for another one. Hurt their feelings. Who cares? Say hmm. you would like to deal with somebody else. And if they say no, go to another dealer. One other option I want to mention while it's here is because I'm sure there are some people listening who may even have less than 20 grand or may even be wondering if they need to own a car at all. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of people, especially those in cities, are using rental car services like Communauto or Evo out in BC. Um, when does it become a better deal to use those kind of things as opposed to trying to buy a car? Like, uh, who's a good fit for that? Honestly, I'm going to write myself out of a job in the very near future. If you don't need a car, if there's any way you can get around buying a car, don't buy a car. It is so huh. much money, so much money on so many things that it ends up owning you. If you're in a core and you can get around without a car, the hardest thing, I call it the kitty litter thing. That's the hardest thing to get home is kitty yeah. litter because it weighs a ton. So if you plan that, that you can mooch a ride off somebody or, you know, have a wagon or whatever every couple months or whenever you need it. So I understand there's times for a vacation. Some people, a lot of people will buy a really big vehicle because they imagine they're one week away when they have the whole family and grandma in a minivan. So they buy this minivan that drives around empty all year, basically, until that trip. I say, don't do that. Don't picture the one week a year you're going to use it. Picture the other 51 and buy what you need and then rent. Rent a minivan for that one week when everyone is together. And so you can look at it that way. There's people that absolutely have to have transportation. They need a car. I understand so uh, there's zero, zero coming for me on that. But if you have the opportunity not to, and this is when students graduate and if they start working in a core and they don't have a car, if they don't get used to a car, they're probably not going to be as, you know, as fast to run and get one because there's a lot of money every month. Once you bought a car and we're assuming now that Suki and others haven't just listened to what you had to say and just turned this off already. Fine. I don't need one. Um, let's, <laughs> let's assume they do. Are there any other ways? for someone like Suki, who's going to blow a huge chunk of money on uh, this car and will probably feel pretty poor afterwards um, to keep costs down once you've got it. Maintain it, maintain it. Maintenance is so much cheaper than repair. Get a, a, a tech that you trust. Take your owner's manual and put it in the bathroom. It's the only place you'll read it. <laughs> read it. You will learn a lot about your car in that manual. Just the way you, you don't know how much your phone can do in your computer. It's the same with your car. So read the manual. Um, I would say get a dash cam, which I know sounds a little crazy, but you can get one for like a hundred bucks, 120 bucks. A dash cam will babysit your car when you're not in it. And for insurance, it can be, if somebody hits your car, like a hit and run, a dash cam can capture that. You show that to your insurance company. They know you're not at fault. The difference between an at fault or a not at fault can be astronomical on your insurance premiums. So a dash cam is a little bit of um, like a buffer or, you know, get out of jail free card, especially for insurance companies, because it takes away all the questions. Yep, someone came down and clipped my car and wrecked it. You won't get dinged for that. And your car will be repaired. Lorraine, thank you so much for this. I feel empowered. I feel like <laughs> I, I feel like I want to go out and haggle with some sales reps and walk away. <laughs> Just know what you want. <laughs> That's it. Thanks again. 
Thanks, Jordan. I'm really grateful that Lorraine could share her insights and tips and wisdom with us. And I really think we could have used them when we were buying our first car. Just to summarize here, as we wrap up, if you want to get the best possible deal for yourself on a car in this economy, here's what you do. First, just know your numbers. How much do you have to spend on a vehicle? And what can you afford to spend up front? And what monthly payments can you make work on top of that? Like Lorraine said, these are not assets in the long term. So make sure that you're happy with the car you're getting now for the price that you may still be paying for it down the road. Second, avoid buying by the month or leasing long term. The best thing to do financially is pay up front for as much of the car as you can possibly afford. Dealerships will back you into drawn out monthly payment plans until suddenly you're locked into a seven year contract for a car you couldn't afford in the first place. If you don't have enough for an upfront payment, Lorraine recommends skipping the car salesman's deals and going to your bank. Ask them about a car loan and what kind of payment plan they can set up. This will help you avoid the changing interest rates that can come with a dealership's month-to-month plans or even with a line of credit. Third, if you need a used car, stick with a registered dealer. This isn't complicated. Don't shop curbside or through Kijiji unless it's with someone that you already know and trust. If the car you've purchased is faulty or isn't a good fit, you'll be very glad you did that. Finally, remember, before you hit the lots and the sites, do your research. If you've got a specific brand and model in mind, look into what it typically sells for and what other people are saying about mileage and durability. If you've got more questions about it, try reaching out to the brand yourself. If anyone you know drives a car like that, sit them down and ask them about it. I want to thank Lorraine again for being our expert on this episode. You can read her insights and updates on the Canadian auto industry at driving.ca. You can listen to them on her show, The Driving Podcast. And thank you, of course, to Suki for writing into the show and asking us to look into this. It was a fascinating trip into a world a lot of us don't spend much time in. If you'd like to share your problems with us, you can email us at hello at itepod.ca or you can call us and leave us a voicemail. The number is 416-935-5935. We don't need your real name. We do need your real numbers. You can find us on social media. We're on Instagram and TikTok at In This Economy Pod. If you liked this show, if you want more of this show, if you want to share us with anybody, we would be most appreciative. You can do that by liking, by rating, by reviewing, by subscribing, by following, by doing whatever your favorite podcast app asks you to do. I'm your host and executive producer, Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This episode was written and produced by Ali Graham. The sound design was done by Ryan Clark. And the story was edited by Stephanie Phillips. Mary Jubrin is our digital editor. Diana Kay is our manager of business development. Together, we make up the Frequency Podcast Network. Thanks again for listening. We'll talk to you next week on In This Economy.
My name is John Cullen, and I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and curling. It's the story of Broomgate, how a single broom, yes, a broom, turned friends into foes and almost killed the 500-year-old sport of curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now.